Well, a very warm welcome to you on a very chilly morning. <laughs> and welcome to you if you are joining us for the service online. It's good to be with you and good to have you with us. Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Uh, we come to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Listen to God's word. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Christianity is not a religion or a philosophy of self-help, a way to better yourself by following the program, so through discipline and hard work you reach your potential. To be sure, Christians are called to a high standard. God himself, the Lord Jesus, is the standard, and that means that we are to be perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. However, Christianity is not self-help. Think about it. It can't be. If that's the standard, it's just not possible to get anywhere near reaching that standard in our own strength and by our own means. So it's not self-help. Instead, it's a supernatural empowering, enabling power to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received as Christians. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, just after Paul's prayer here, we have a turning point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he moves from what scholars call the indicative in chapters 1 to 3. In other words, this is who you are as a Christian, how through the mystery, the gospel of God's grace, you came to be in Christ. From the indicative to in chapters 4 to 6, the imperative. This now is how you are to live a life as a Christian, a life worthy of the calling. And the basic assumption throughout is that we don't have a hope of doing this without a supernatural empowering, which is why at this point Paul is praying this prayer. And notice that it's a prayer for power. Power for the Ephesians, for us, that we may be strengthened with power. Because there is no way we're going to get from who we are to who we should be, to be all that God wants us to be. There is no way that we will live a life worthy of the calling without power. So why do we need this power? How does it work? And what must we do to access it? Why do we need it? Well, to experience what we already have. Paul prays 
that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, and what follows are the specific things that Paul is asking for, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you might grasp the love of Christ, know this love, that you may be filled with the, to the measure of the fullness of God. Now what's striking about the things that Paul is asking for here, and all of the commentaries wrestle with this, is that these are Christians that Paul is praying for. But these are things that Christians already have. You can't be a Christian otherwise. You, you can't be a Christian and, unless Christ dwells in your heart. Unless you have grasped, unless you know Christ's love for you. Unless you have been filled. Unless you have the fullness of God. So the question is, why is he praying for things that Christians already have? That God would give us things that are already ours. It's because of the times, biblically speaking, in which we live. We live between the now, Christ having come, and through his life, death, and resurrection, his ascension to God's right hand and the giving of the Holy Spirit to bring the power of heaven down to earth. <clears throat> between the now and the not yet of Christ's coming again to renew all things. The day when we will be in every sense, perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. But it's not just the times in which we live, it's the spheres in which, which we inhabit. As Christians, we live between heaven and earth. Paul has already said back in chapter 2 and verse 6 that by virtue of our union with Christ, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Really? The last time I looked, we were here on earth. Uh, this would be a good time just to pinch the person next to you. Now go ahead and do it. Just to make sure, just to make sure that they're here in the earthly realm. Yes? So how can he say we're already in heaven, but we're still here on earth. Well, we, we could say that spiritually speaking, we're already in heaven and physically we're still here on earth, but it's more complicated than that. The reality is that as Christians, we are body and soul. We are physical and spiritual beings. And because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're able to inhabit both spheres, both realms simultaneously. Because he's the connection, connecting Christ, us to Christ in the heavenly realm, and Christ to us here on earth. And that explains how it is that Christ can dwell in our hearts. How we have already grasped how we know the love of Christ for us. How we've already been filled and have the fullness of God. But heaven has not yet come to earth. And so we live in the in-between, between the now and the not yet. Historically speaking, between the two comings of Christ. Spiritually speaking, between heaven and earth. We live in the gap, so to speak. So in the present, there is always going to be a gap between knowing and believing that these things are true of us and actually grasping experiencing these realities 
in our inner beings, in our hearts. It's kind of like there's a gap between our head and our heart. As Christians, we already have these things, but it is possible to have them, to have them in principle and to not actually experience them. Or at least to the extent that we should. It's been true of many Christians who have known these things in their heads, but not in their hearts. Until, of course, they've been strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner beings. But then these things are not just head knowledge, they become heart knowledge. Because we've experienced them, they've become real to us. Uh, we've got some classic examples uh, in the history of Christianity. I'm just going to mention two, and I'm going to mention them with a disclaimer. Because we've got to be careful of speaking of other people's spiritual experiences as the norm, as if God is going to work this way with each one of us. It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. Anyway, here we go. Blaise Pascal was a Christian philosopher, and he had such an experience uh, late one night, uh, November 1654. He told nobody about it. We only know of it because he wrote it down, and apparently while it was happening. And he sewed it into the lining of his coat, and he carried it around with him wherever he went. No one knew. It was only after his death that they discovered it, and it's become known as Pascal's Night of Fire. This is what he wrote. And you'll see it reads like an experience. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ. He can only be found in the ways taught in the Gospels. Greatness of the human soul. Joy, 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 tears of joy. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice he says, not of philosophers and scholars. He's, he was the best of both. He was clearly a thought-through Christian. But that night, what he knew in his head, he, had he began to experience in his inner being, in his heart. He got what Paul is praying for here. The same was true of John Wesley, that now famous Aldersgate meeting. Someone was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And these are Wesley's words. At about 8.45 p.m., while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Now for Pascal and for Wesley, these experiences of the Spirit were, were unique. They didn't happen every day, which is why we know about them. <laughs> there would have been many other experiences of the Spirit's power that we don't know about. Because for the Christian, Christian experience is a bit like breathing. It's there all the time. If you have no experience at all whatsoever, well, then you're dead. For them, these were the defining moments where they began to experience what they already were in principle. And it so changed them that they began to be what they were, live out what they were. Because without the experience of the Spirit's power, you don't live a life of power, a life worthy of the calling. 
So Paul is praying that we may be strengthened with power in our inner being so that we will grasp, so that we'll experience more of the things that we already have, so that we be changed, so that we live with power. Then it follows that if you're a Christian, no matter how ordinary your life looks or below par you think your life is, you, you can get what Paul is praying for here. Jerry Bridges uh, tells the story of an old farm worker whose master had died and left him this enormous sum of money as an inheritance. Uh, he was told that the money had got deposited in a bank account at the local bank for him. The money was legally his, but weeks and months went by and he made no withdrawals. So the bank manager called him in and explained to him just how much money was left for him and, and asked him, well, you know, why aren't you making any withdrawals? And the old man rather sheepishly replied, because he had no idea of how much money this was, Sir, do you think I can have 50 cents for a loaf of bread? For this reason I kneel before the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God our Father is always willing to give us more, more of himself, more, more of his power to grasp these things that already are legally ours. But you see, like the old farm worker, we're just settling for less, much less. And so we don't live a life of power, because a life worthy of the calling, because we don't really know what's ours and we don't ask for it. If we need super, a supernatural empowering to get from who we are to where we should be, to be all that God wants us to be, to live a life worthy of the calling, in, then how does this supernatural empowering work? How does it work? Well, it's the Holy Spirit's work to prepare our inner being, our, our hearts. Not just to know and believe, but to really grasp these things. As Tim Keller puts it, he says, the power of the Holy Spirit's work within us is, is to give us, in his words, a spiritual inner sensitivity to gospel truth. A spiritual inner sensitivity to gospel truth. In other words, to sensitize our hearts so that we would really grasp, so that we could would get a grip on, get a hold of the, the truths of the gospel. Uh, he uses an illustration of, uh, about photography, uh, an illustration which will be lost on the younger generation, most of whom are that side. So. But remember old cameras? Remember cameras uh, that used to use film? Remember that stuff? used to take a photo of, say, the tree, and because the film was light-sensitive, because it had been treated with chemicals, when the shutter of the camera was open, light would come through the lens and get uh, exposed, uh, or the film grips the image of the tree. And then you take it uh, into the dark room and you develop the image, and again, because the paper 
is light sensitive and been treated with chemicals, it, it grips the image of the tree onto the paper. Of course, if the film or the paper has not been treated, it would be light sensitive and you'd have no image, just a blank. Similarly, to the degree that the Holy Spirit has sensitized our hearts to Christian truth, to the gospel, is the degree to which we're actually going to, to grasp it. We might hear or be reminded uh, in the preaching, in the singing of a hymn or a song, or you're reading a Christian book, maybe reminded, reminded of the truth of God's sovereignty. Although you probably know and believe this already, well, you suddenly begin to feel safe and secure that he is in control of your situation when before you were just fretting, you were just worrying. Or you hear of his love and, and you feel embraced and, and cared for when before you were feeling all alone and as if nobody cares. Or you hear of his grace and you feel worthy because before, because of your besetting sins, you were feeling so unworthy. See, now you're not just hearing the truths of the gospel, they're gripping you. That's an experience of the Spirit's power. Jonathan Edwards described spiritual experience using the analogy of honey. He said, if you had never tasted honey, I could explain what honey is like to you. It's golden in color, it's sweet. And after I've explained it to you, you would have no doubts that honey was sweet to your lips and to your taste. But all you'd have is knowledge, a mental picture of what honey's like. You won't really know what honey is like until you've tasted it for yourself. Which is why David in the Psalms says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We may know, we may believe that the Lord is good, but he's wanting us to taste, experience his goodness. Whether our circumstances are good, and not good simply because we've worked hard and we deserve it, no, because the Lord himself is good and he's been good to us. Or if your circumstances are bad, as David's were, the troubles that he was having, which are hinted here in the psalm, Psalm 34, that even in the midst of them, the Lord is still good. I mean, isn't that the hardest thing in the world to believe that the Lord is good when your life is falling apart? To know and believe that the Lord is good. But you see, the Holy Spirit's power enables more. Not just knowing and believing, but tasting, experiencing, actually feeling his goodness. To taste. What does it mean to taste? Some of you have lost your taste as a consequence of COVID. You know what it's like, probably for the first time in your life, not to be able to taste anything. Life itself becomes tasteless, bland, when you're not able to taste. The goodness of a meal and a glass of whatever 
Spiritually speaking, life is bland without being able to taste and experience the Lord's goodness and grace. That grace to lift you up when you're down. To shock you when you become complacent. To compel you when you're being lazy. To move you when you're just going through the motions of a Christian life. It's the Holy Spirit's power that works to spiritually sensitize the taste buds of our hearts. So that the truths of the gospel, what we already believe and know in our heads, we begin to experience in our hearts. I mean, what is it like for Christ to dwell in your heart? What is it like to grasp and to know his love? What is it like to be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God? Of course, it's certainly more than feelings. Paul is talking about a new kind of life here. Your feelings can be aroused and make absolutely no difference to your life. There'll be no change. You can go from one experience to the next and, and not be, as he says here, rooted and established in love. Now, Paul has in mind here a spiritual empowering, a sensitizing, where your thinking and your feeling actually come together so that you experience with your whole being these things the things that you as a Christian already have. And when you do, well, that empowers the life that is worthy. So what must we do then to get this power? How do we access it? We've got to simply ask. And to ask is to pray. So what Paul is praying for for us Here, we should be praying for ourselves and for one another. You and I well know that when it comes to prayer, we've got our shopping lists. Items which uh, usually revolve around our immediate needs uh, or those of our children. And of course, that's not wrong. I mean, every need that we have and which we express to God expresses a dependence on God. And that's a good thing. But the question that confronts us here with Paul's prayer is, when last, if ever, did we ask for power? Power to experience. To experience Christ in our lives. It was Hudson Taylor whose daily prayer was, Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality. Every day. He wasn't expecting to experience every day this living, bright reality. But he was seeking it. So if this is what we want, if this is what we desire, then regular sustained prayer, which seeks an experience of Christ, is is a prerequisite. And if as a Christian, Christian experience is what you're after, then you've got to know what you're asking for. And here it's a a spiritual inner sensitivity to gospel truth. And if that's what we're asking for, then we've got to fill our minds with gospel truth. It's a bit like putting logs on the fire. When the Spirit comes to bring the fire, if there are no logs, 
there's going to be no fire. Some lines in Pascal's Night of Fire are, are very telling in this regard. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of Jesus Christ, he can only be found by the ways taught in the Gospels. That shows you that he knew his Bible. That shows you that he'd been reading through the Gospels. That he'd been putting logs on the fire so that when the fire came, there were the logs and he experienced the fire. What we're talking about here is Christian meditation. And you're all going, because you're thinking of Eastern religions where meditation is about emptying your mind. No, Christian meditation is the complete opposite. It's active, it's not passive, it's filling your mind with the truths of the gospel. And not just filling them, but, but stretching our minds. That's what Paul wants us to do here, to, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Well, tell me. How wide? How long? How high? How deep? He expects us to be stretching our minds in all directions as we think about Christ's love for us. And it's infinite. As he says, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. But the love of Christ is never an abstraction. No, it's displayed for us on the cross. That's how much Christ loved you. These are the depths that he went to, to love you. Into the depths, experiencing hell itself there on the cross. So he could raise you up. He was there, he was cast out so that he could get you in to save you and save you entirely by his grace. So it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've become. If this is the love of Christ, wide, long, high and deep, well, there's really no place that you could go which will ever put you outside the embrace of his love. So ask, pray, that God through the power of his Holy Spirit would so sensitize your heart that you will grasp, that you will know this love for yourself. Because if you do, then the life worthy will just follow suit. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we do not ask. We do not pray. Because we have no idea really of the glorious riches of your grace, of the power that you are able to give us, which will strengthen us. 
enable us to explore the depths of the gospel and of Christ's love for us. Uh, we pray that you will will help us so that we'll at least get to that point of asking and of praying. That Christ will become real to us. And that we will be truly changed. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, that brings the end of our formal time together. But don't rush off. Stick around. I won't encourage you to stand outside. It's very cold. I'm not that nasty. But as we end, let us say the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.